Welcome to the Ruby Book Club podcast, where we read an hour of a Ruby book each week and dissect it with you. I'm Saran, developer and founder of CodeNubi. I'm Nadia, developer and director at Ignition Works. So today we finished chapter five of 99 Bottles of OOP by Sandy Metz and Katrina Owen. We're going to discuss sections 5.5, 5.6 and 5.7. So we finish off the extract class refactoring and take a closer look at the list cost substitution principle. And so remember, this book is still in beta and chapter six isn't out yet. This means that next week we're going to move on to a new book. We've chosen Refactoring the Ruby Edition by Jay Fields, Shane Harvey, Martin Fowler and Kent Beck. And remember that you can follow us on Twitter at Ruby Book Club. And if you're reading along and you're on Twitter, tweet at us and let us know what you think of the book so far. We'd love to hear from you. So how did you find the reading this week? So this week we were back to a bit more of the coding side of it. So we were moving forward with our refactoring, which was fun to get stuck into the code again. And I found interesting the closer look at the Liskov substitution principle bit, because that's something that we've spoken about a lot, or I've heard about quite a few times, but I haven't actually seen it in practice. So it was good to think about the sorts of things that look like violations. Yes, exactly. I feel like when we went through the part where there was that violation and how we felt about it and how we wanted to fix it. That was one of the first times that I felt like, oh, this is why this is not good. You know, every other time it felt like I understood it on an intellectual level, but I didn't really see the problem. I didn't really get it, you know, and this time I feel like I finally got it. So I was excited about that. Yeah. So shall we start with 5.5 creating bottle numbers? Let's do it. So last week we ended kind of in a, in a strange place to end where we were talking about caching and immutability and this idea of object creation. And so in 5.5, we talk about how we are creating a lot of bottle number instances. Uh, I think we are creating a total of 900 new instances by the time we finish all of the verses for the 99 bottles of beer song, uh, which is a lot. You know, we talked last week about how we as developers can be very obsessed with this idea of optimizing and making sure to hold on to our objects. And we don't like the idea of creating many of them. But in this part of the book, we talk about how 900 feels very excessive. And so we talked briefly about, okay, well, what are the different ways that we can uh, that we can fix this? So one way is that we can just hold on to that bottle number instance for all 99 verses. And I was wondering when you read that example, what were your thoughts on that? My initial reaction to that was, hmm, no, for some reason, I felt like there was a middle ground we could draw and having one instance that dealt with everything didn't seem quite right. But I, I'm not sure exactly why I thought that. Yeah. So to me, I I read that. And I remember it came up during the workshop as well uh, when I went to Sandy's uh, Pudnik, the, the Pud NYC workshop she had, where I just felt like it was an inaccurate portrayal of the world because there wasn't just a bottle number that kept changing. It It, it felt like there were actually new bottle numbers that existed. You know, like like the, the bottle number 99 is different from the bottle number 98. It's this idea of caching it and just updating that value over and over again didn't feel like it fit what was happening in the world, if that makes sense. Yes, that definitely makes sense. And I didn't think about it in that way at all, but that's an interesting way of looking at it, which is how do I view these objects in the wider world? 
and what right. what are the implications in code but were you able to map that to any problems that you saw coming up in the code if you dealt with it that way not exactly like not in a this line of code would be messed up way when i was first thinking about it it was more of you know, one of the things that I was really excited about when we created this bottle number class and we separated it from our bottles class is the fact that bottle number, and we talked about this as well, bottle number felt like the helper class. It felt like the thing that you need that puts together the verse for you. And so when I thought about bottle number just being an updated variable that was just you know the same thing throughout bottles, to me, it broke that separation because we have one song, we have you know, a set of verses, but to create those verses takes a couple pieces. And this idea that they were going to now be synced up and attached, it, it like, to, to me, it, it killed a, a major part of the separation of concerns. Oh, that's, in- that's a really interesting perspective on it. So I was happy to find out that we're not going to do that for our solution. Uh, and instead of doing that, as you mentioned, there is a middle ground. There's a nice compromise between having just one bottle number and having 900 of them. So you want to talk a little bit about what that is? So this is what Sandy and Katrina refer to as our simple, automatically invalidating low-cost cash, which sounds like exactly the cash you want if you're dealing with caches. <laughs> and so... Looking at listing 5.23, caching a bottle number, we have our verse method. And the first line of the verse method, we set a variable called bottle number. And we set that to be bottle number dot new, taking number as an argument. And so I've definitely done this before in my code. And I've definitely had Thea refer to this as a cache, but I was interested to see that it was a smell. So it's, yes, yeah. Yeah, it's the temporary variable code smell. And I thought, oh, I didn't see it as a big no no. So that's same. Yeah. So that's interesting. And I'd be really curious to, as to what the recipe for that would be. Mm-hmm. But anyway, for now, that's what we have for our cache. And so the plan is to gradually take this bottle number variable that we now have and interpolate it into the verse method where we call our flocked five methods. Yes, exactly. And so what we want to be able to do is right now we are doing things like we are calling quantity, passing in number, then calling dot capitalize. And in order to use our bottle number, what we want to do is we want to ask the bottle number what its quantity is. So we want to change that to read bottle number dot quantity which feels a lot more object-oriented and a lot smarter. Indeed. And so we do that with quantity. We do that with container. We do it with quantity again in the next line, container again in the next line. And then in the third line, we do that with action. So now instead of asking self what quantity and action and container are, we're now asking the bottle number what its quantity, container, and action are. And that feels a lot nicer and a lot cleaner. And I just say that I was going through this bit by bit in my own code base, and I was surprised that there was no mention of rerunning the test to check that you didn't make any mistakes. Mm, good point. Yeah. But I would like to say that I indeed did run the test after every change. <laughs> well done. Thank you. Well done, Nadia. <laughs> Yeah, and there wasn't even uh, an assumption there that said, you know, we assume you're going to run these tests, but let's let's just kind of keep going with that. Yeah, you're right. There was absolutely no mention of tests in this uh, in this section. 
And so we will run into a interesting problem, though, and that's what 5.6 talks about. 5.6 is called recognizing Liskov violations. And here we say that for those first three lines, things are going great. We're asking bottle number what its quantity, container, and actions are. Uh, but then in the fourth line, we hit on successor. And so right now, the way it reads is it goes quantity, and then we pass in successor method, which passes in the number argument. So there's a lot of, there's kind of three levels going on, so a bit of nesting going on. And what is different about this situation is that we are not asking the bottle number about its quantity anymore. We're actually getting the successor, and we want to know what the successor's quantity is going to be. And that is fundamentally a different object that we're dealing with. So now we have an interesting discussion around the contract that the successor method should uphold. So if we were to replace successor with bottle number dot successor as we've done with the previous replacements and then call the method quantity, we're going to get a failure which says undefined method quantity for fixed num. And that's because the mm -hmm. successor method is returning a number. And this is a violation of the Liskov substitution principle because a method called successor comes with an implicit promise that it will return back to you an object of the same type to which you sent the original message. So if you have a bottle number and you're asking for a successor, you should get the next bottle number rather than a number. And so I thought that was interesting that the name itself carries with it an implicit promise. Yes, exactly. And that was the thing that I had been missing about this violation the whole time. Because when I first read it, it made me it made it, it made it sound like whenever you call something, it should return its own kind as the as the original uh, sender. And that felt weird to me. I was like, well, I don't always want to return the, you know, a bottle number. Sometimes I want to return a string or some other thing. But it's the fact that because it's named successor, it it comes with it a promise just by virtue of its name. And that was the thing that I was missing in this uh, in this rule. And I think that's really interesting because we often talk about how naming things are hard. It's like an extra dimension to think about now, which is by calling my method this, what am I, what am I implicitly suggesting to the reader of my code? Yes. Sandy Katrina also point out, which I think is helpful, that it, it makes sense that as you work on code bases, the contracts change. It's, it doesn't mean we did something wrong before. Mm. It's just a natural involvement of our code. So before we were checking a number and it made sense that we returned a number. But now because we've moved the method into a bottle number class, given its name successor, the contract has changed. So I like, the, I like that point about this natural evolution of the code. Yes. Yeah. And then she also mentions that once we notice this, uh, we might try and change it. And then that creates all these other problems. And it, we can very, very easily end up down a rabbit hole uh, and go off on a tangent. And so she says that although it is very tempting to undertake this vertical tangent, that we have to stay the course and we have to finish our horizontal refactoring. So the way that Sandy Katrina suggests that we do this is that since we've already cached bottle number, we can similarly cache a variable called next bottle number and set that equal to bottle number dot new and then passing in bottle number dot successor. So if we were starting off on verse 99, we would have a bottle number instance 
with that number 99. And then a next bottle number, we have a new bottle number instance where we're passing in the successor of 99, which would be 98. Yes. So now we have our next bottle number variable, it's time to use it. So looking at listing 5.2.7, caching the successor on line nine, instead of calling the quantity method with successor number as an argument and the container method with successor number as an argument, we now have next bottle number dot quantity and next bottle number dot container. Yes. And by having this, we've now split up our verse method into two very different parts. The first part is where we're kind of setting things up and we're setting up our bottle number instance and our next bottle number instance. And then lines 5 through 10, enlisting 5.27, we are actually creating the verses themselves. And there we're calling quantity and action and container and all the things that we need to actually create those verses. Yes, and there's one final bit that I didn't spot, but it made complete sense, which is now we no longer need our forwarding method, so we can just get rid of them. Yes. Mm -hmm. So the def container, def quantity, all of those that we had inside the bottle class where it forwarded onto bottle number, goodbye. Mm -hmm. Yep. So what was your reaction when we got rid of it? And I think it's, what is it, listing 5.28? called Obsession Cured, which I really liked, (laughs) which presents the final version, the for now final version of the bottles class and the bottle number class. So I'm curious, what was your reaction when you you saw it laid out like that? Focusing specifically on the fact that we removed the flocked five methods in the bottles class, I was really delighted because it felt like a win that an extra win that I hadn't thought about. And I was like, aha, Mm -hmm. this is why these refactorings are cool. Because Sometimes you have those cool, quick wins where you can just delete a bunch of code. So I was quite excited by that. And then it's funny because I was looking at the verse method and I feel like that hasn't really progressed in the sense of, (laughs) in the sense of it has definitely progressed because it's more object oriented. We're using the bottle number, but it's still very messy. There's still a lot of, we've now got these two variables and then we're calling bottle number dot quantity dot capitalized bottle number dot container. And So in some ways it has progressed, but in other ways it's still looking very verbose. Mm, Yeah. I love it so much. I can't even tell you. I just, I love the fact that we've separated out bottles and bottle number. It makes me so happy. I think that the verse method, I agree, definitely still has a lot of stuff going on. There's tons of interpolation. But I think the fact that each line starts with bottle number now with this recent refactoring makes it feel so much closer to what the output really is going to be, right? Because the song goes, 99 bottles of beer on the wall, 99 bottles of beer. And so just from the fact that we are now calling quantity and action container from bottle number, it just falls in line with how the song is actually sung. And the closer it is to the actual result makes me feel just so much better. And it just feels very reflective of what's really going on. Yes, it's definitely easier to read from left to right now. And we've spoken before about what it would be like for a new programmer to jump into this code base. And -hmm. looking like this, it's definitely easier to go, ah, we've got this idea of a bottle number and then the next bottle number, and then we want the quantity. You know, it's easier to just read through it and quickly get a grasp of what's going on. Mm -hmm. Yeah. The bottle number class that we made, it's really nice that all those Uh, what are those, the flocked five, are tucked away somewhere else where they can't bother anyone. (laughs) But but looking into it and just seeing all those conditionals are still there. There's lots of, you know, there's lots of strings. There's lots of figuring out. I mean, all the conditionals are based on um, a number. I think it's either one or zero. 
Um, so that still feels like it has a lot of work left to do, but it feels like we're going in the right direction. And so that marks the end of section 5.6. We have resolved the primitive obsession code smell. And so going into 5.7, the summary, I'm reminded again of why we're doing all of this, which is the six pack requirement, right. which I keep forgetting about. I, <laughs> same. I was same, like, I oh yeah. Yeah. So can you tell, based on where the code is right now, can you tell how we're going to be able to do the six-pack feature? Because mm. I still don't see it. I was going to say, first of all, I'm trying to remember what the six-pack requirement is. So that's every time we have, <laughs> yeah, that's how long it's been. So every time we have six bottles of beer on the wall, it's going to say one six-pack, right? Yes. So everywhere that it would say six bottles of beer, it'll instead say six-pack. So at the moment, no. And I think that's because if I look inside bottle number, which is I feel where it would be handled, it's still based around checking a number. And at the moment, I feel like you'd still have to add in the six case mm-hmm. in each of these methods or in the methods right. where we would say, so in the container method, for example. Yes. Does that make sense? Yeah. So this idea of it being open, it, like, it doesn't, doesn't sound very open. Yes, because I think we'd have to change the container method right now for if number equals equals six, then six pack or one six pack. Right. Am I right in that? Yeah, something like that. And the thing is, you know, I, I know how we're going to do it. So. Oh, yes. We were definitely. Every week. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, even when we got to this point and as Sandy was uh, showing us what the final solution was. I was still like, but but how does it oh it's just like to me it's it's so not intuitive at this point. Uh and even looking at it now, if I didn't if I didn't just, you know, memorize what the answer was, I couldn't guess at this point what it was gonna be. What will be really interesting oh, well I guess you know this from doing the workshop, but what I was going to say was what would be really interesting is to see if you felt like the book did a good job of getting us to this end point that you still can't see from this stage of the code. Mm-hmm. But I guess that's what you went through in the workshop. Right, yeah. And yeah, that's also the thing that Sandy and Katrina talk about in the summary is it says that uh, we have not yet succeeded. And so right now, it's really just been a huge act of faith. And they, it even says, it's possible that your faith is being tested. Uh, and yes, that that is correct. Like if I were just purely going at this on my own and had him into the workshop, yes, this would definitely be a test of faith. Uh, and right now, it's us having faith in Sandy and Katrina pointing us in the right direction. But if we were on our own, it would be faith in our own skills. And we're in this interesting place where you and I are reading this book because we are trying to level up and we're trying to develop our skills and get to a place where we can trust ourselves more. But a big part of following this process is already trusting yourself, you know? So it, it's... It's something to reconcile, and I'm not sure. I'm not sure how I would handle this process if it was just me making the decisions 100 percent on my own. I don't know if I would have faith to to get to this point, still realize that it's not where I wanted to be, and just keep going. I feel like without this book, I definitely wouldn't be able to do that. And having spoken to Sandy before and hearing her talk, one of the things she does talk about is as you get more experienced, you do learn to trust yourself, but it really does come with experience. And it's that, and it's this faith of when it seems like stuff is getting worse, you just persevere and persevere Mm -hmm. and eventually it will get better. 
And yeah, that takes a lot of faith. They do mention how the total flock score went up again, which doesn't sound uh, very good. And it talks about how we've compounded our sins by introducing a new class that doesn't add any new behavior, but instead just makes our code a lot longer. Uh, they also mention how they also mention how there are no unit tests for bottle number. We're still relying on the tests for bottle to get us through and make sure that we haven't broken anything. But bottle number doesn't have its own tests. And we still have that list call violation that we never really solved. We just kind of did a workaround thing to deal with it, but it's it's still an issue with that successor method. And of course, we still have duplication, we have conditionals, and we have a new sm- We actually added a new smell. We have the temporary field. <laughs> uh, so in terms of all of the metrics that we talked about, all of the rules and guidelines that we mentioned, I think it was in the first chapter, first two chapters, uh, we're doing a terrible job. But not to end on such a grim note, I think what's also cool is that we've learned a lot in this chapter, and these are listed in the end of this section too. So the rewards of modeling abstractions, trade-offs of caching, advantages of immutability, and the benefits of deferring performance tuning. Mm-hmm. So with abstractions, you know, by abstracting out our code, we can make it more maintainable and open for extension, eventually. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Someday. Yeah. <laughs> with um, with caching, it could be that, you know, we have fewer objects. But then one of the things that we have to worry about is when do we update the cache? We spoke about immutability and how, you know, we have objects that don't change. They're often easier to reason about and to test. And also this idea of deferring performance tuning, because often what we think will work doesn't work, as you yourself heard from the experts, mm-hmm. and that we often end up introducing complexity, for example, with things like caching. And this tends to outweigh any benefits that we hope to gain. And it's often better to measure our current performance and then experiment and iterate on it once performance tuning does become the main priority and not before. Mm -hmm. And so it's cool that we've learned all that stuff. Yes. And I'm really excited when we uh, when we get to chapter six, hopefully we'll come back and we'll be able to finish off this book entirely. But I, I really hope that in chapter six, Sandy and Katrina address the flogging score issue because it's come up a lot. You know, in the very beginning of the book, it was, oh, flog, you know, flog scores are can be really helpful. Here are the different ways to measure your code quality. And we, we spent a, a good amount of time looking into the different ones and what they mean. But it feels like in actually working through the 99 bottles problem, it's been the flog score sucks, but that's okay. And that is confusing to me. And so I hope in chapter <laughs> six, we revisit that and we talk about situations where it's okay to ignore the flock score and situations where, you know, when, when it makes sense to actually take it seriously. Because right now, I'm just, I'm not really sure what to do with that score. I think I find it a bit less surprising because I watched a whole talk of Sandy's where she walks through a big refactoring and gives the flock score at each stage and it gets higher and higher and higher until towards the end when it starts getting lower. So I'm sort of prepared mm. in, in in that sort of thing to expect it to go up mm-hmm. for a while. Mm-hmm. I'm looking forward to the next chapter. We have a little bit of a, a sampling of what's to come. So it's going to look at resolving a few more code smells. There's going to be some monkey patching and metaprogramming. And we're also going to look at inheritance and composition. So it sounds like there's going to be a lot of stuff to sink our teeth into. Mm-hmm. So we are still not at the point in our code where it's open to the six-pack feature. So given that we've still got some work to do, what do you think of this refactor? Do you like it better than Shameless Green? Still wondering where this is all going? Tweet us your responses at Ruby Book Club and tell us about how you plan to use the takeaways from this episode in your next project. <laughs>
And don't forget to get your copies of Refactoring Ruby ready for next week. See you next week. Cheerio.